Welcome to the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Derek Van Riper here today with Mike Feller. It's Friday, August 14th. Today, we're joined by Dalton Del Don of Yahoo Sports, good friend of mine. We've worked together at Rotowire several years ago. Dalton, one of the sharpest players around, both baseball and football. Good writer as well. Dalton, thanks for joining us today. How are things going for you? Things are going well. Beller, DVR, uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a long week. Uh, we're talking backstage that um, not only is we going back and forth with football, I apologize if I recommend an NFL player instead today, um, but uh, we got a new puppy, so we're oh, lack of nice. sleep. Um, <laughs> and you have me up early on the West Coast here too, but I, I, I would blame you guys, but man, we've been up since like 4 a.m. dealing with pup- <laughs> puppy training, as my wife says, is harder than having a third kid. So uh, yeah, dealing with lack of sleep and prepping for sports, but I'm, I'm pumped for sports. Sports and uh, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk some baseball. The puppy phase is the best. Uh, Beller's been through that pretty recently. I went through mm-hmm. it a few years ago. It takes like a month though to get through the, the the entire night without having to take the dog out, and that's definitely something I was not used to as someone who doesn't have kids. So hopefully, I'm more prepared for that time uh, when it gets here. <laughs> but uh, this has been a crazy year. We've said that probably on every single podcast we've done for the last five months or so now. And something you wrote about this week that is just unbelievable is that there are as many as three parks that might have had the installation of a humidor this year. Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer had a piece that went up. Fenway, City Field, and T-Mobile Field, that's of course where Seattle plays its home games. Those parks have a humidor, apparently. And it's like, how how do they not tell us these things? Because it makes a significant difference. I think you pointed out in your piece that Chase Field a few years ago went from a hitter's park to a very neutral park and one that's now below average for home runs. And we've had a few players on each of those teams, especially the Red Sox, guys that really are just great players who don't look right. So as you've kind of learned about this, does it give you a satisfactory explanation for the slow starts of Rafael Devers and Andrew Benintendi and some of those other Red Sox hitters who just haven't looked like themselves to this point? First of all, it's so tough to write about baseball after like a week in with just such small samples and to make any sort of conclusions. And I just happened to be the, the writer for Closing Time on Tuesday nights, and that news just broke. So I'm like, man, that is pretty crazy and very frustrating as fantasy managers and man with, with the gambling aspect picking up. I mean, it's really an issue to hide that information from the public. I mean, it really is. Um, so I said, you know, I pointed out Chase Field, as you said, DVR. It went from an extreme hitter's park to to neutral and even or below. I mean, it's pitchers and it, it, it hurts. It hurts homers, as you said. So it's not an insignificant detail. So I just assumed that it would probably hurt all offense. And I've since learned more um, specifically from someone named Andrew Perpetua. I'm probably going to mess up his name. He used to work in the front office. He points out that it depends on the environment. And in very dry places, a humidor makes the ball less bouncy. In very humid places, it might make it more bouncy. And the exact impact on these four places is just totally unknown. So I'm the moron writing something before I was informed enough. And um, <laughs> Uh, and that, that's the takeaway in general. Don't listen to me. But yeah, this is uh, something that we all need to pay attention to. And it was a very convenient excuse when you look at all the Red Sox from top to bottom off to such slow starts. Um, it was at least something you could point to. But man, I, I, it's an unsatisfactory answer. But I think it's just we don't know. And it also seems like something where we're not going to know in any actionable way for this year that if these humidors are still installed next year, then maybe we can start to draw conclusions. But we're going to need multiple games and multiple weeks and months of data that we're just obviously, for what this season is, not going to have this year. 
And the real stat nerds will tell you it takes three years if you want a proper sample for ballpark data of, uh, for park factors. So, yeah, this is going to be just something we can watch. It's definitely something to keep an eye on, though. And it's, it's nice that we at least know that this is happening. But I'm, it's after the fact does us no good. But it's just yet another variable in a year full of a, of a million of them. That's a really good point, though, that Andrew Perpetua brought up. Really sharp guy. You can completely change things in either direction and I wonder are we going to get to a point with all the controversies about the baseball will every park eventually have a humidor with settings that try to make the ball as consistent as possible from park to park I mean I think that's the weirdest thing right if you go to a place like Arizona that's dry where they're adding humidity to the ball but then you go to some other park that's good like Arlington maybe where it's humid but they don't do that that's a huge difference in what you're trying to do as a pitcher. It changes the way you grip the ball. It changes the way pitches move. And it's one of those variables that we're kind of chasing at this point. Now, league-wide BABIP has been down. A lot's been made of that. The league as a whole is just hitting 239, entering play on Friday. It's the lowest batting average for the league since 1968. <laughs> it does seem like this week we're going into some kind of turning point. Mike Petriello had a pretty good tweet uh, showing that the strikeout rate for the league is actually down this week. Hitters are doing a lot of damage the last few days. It's not just the Rays beating up on the Red Sox. So are you starting to look at what we're seeing this week and saying, okay, things are starting to normalize. Maybe hitters are starting to get the timing down if they didn't previously have that. Or is there something actionable in the league-wide BABIP trend that we saw for these first couple of weeks? Yeah, I don't know. Eno made a great article about just examining all the possible factors going on here. It, it sounds like the ball is, is less juiced. Um, I know it's a small sample, but there's been so many balls in play Studies show that the drag is less, but then Hawkeye, there's questions too, how how, how, uh, how exactly precise that has been so far or will be this season, and defense is, is making a leap too, so um, I don't know what to make of this, uh, I wish I had more concrete answers, I do know that uh, some discouraging teams off, uh, I was off to in my main event in NFFC, uh, jumped like four or five standing points last night and i'm like oh it's still early in the year to i was already like defeated i'm like oh the <laughs> idea of baseball was better than the actual of it happening and ready to turn to football you know off this poor start after so excited but then i had a good night and suddenly i jumped so much i'm like oh it just feel because we're third done but no 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 it's still the sample so small you can still dramatically change and, and like you're just putting offense you know one big weekend of offense and suddenly the league wide it'll look closer to average yeah, right. Usually you're way down in the standings on August 14th, and it's like, all right, well, gave it a good shot. Baseball season's football. over for me. Let's talk football. But uh, this is a way different August 14th than any of us has experienced to this point. Uh, sticking in on what we've seen uh, with BABIP and with things starting to turn around this week, is there any way you think that there is to be uh, like aggressively actionable in this? Can you try to target the fact that maybe there are people like we're talking about who are just feeling jumpy because the season is one-fourth over, it's the middle of August, and it just feels different in our minds and harder to wrap your head around the fact that it is still very early from a normal baseball context? in this season? I've seen the theory, uh, I believe Pianowski has said to go after guys with, with you know better contact rate in this environment, and that totally makes sense. Um, for the most part, I'm probably just hanging tight. And and, and uh, man, it's what's so frustrating is you're excited about a guy. Kevin Gossman, um, I'm a Giants guy, and I was, I've definitely I've read some things. There's goods comparisons. Grant Brisby compared him to exactly the same time they traded for Jason Schmidt. Obviously, I don't expect him to contend for Cy Youngs or whatever, but out of that horrible environment in the AL East, terrible defense just in general they can't uh, you know very much uh, develop players in Baltimore now to uh, 
theoretically a great pitcher's park. That's played a little differently too with whole other issues there. They've changed some aerodynamics in, in Pac Bell, or sorry, Oracle Park now, <laughs> um, in AT&T. Um, where was I? Uh, Kevin Gossman gets well, immediately uh, is not in the starting rotation. So I dropped him and he's back in the rotation immediately. And you look at the real, the detailed stats, the CSWs, he could actually be a developing, interesting guy. And I dropped him. So it's just the most frustrating thing in the world to drop a guy you're on and then have them do well for other teams the rest of the year. So I think patience is actually what I preach the most early on. But I know having said that this year is so short, I'm not going to fault anyone for being extra aggressive too. So there, I don't know. Yeah, it's, yeah, I can see either way here. I'm just kicking myself because in Tout Wars, a 15-team mixed league, I had to drop Alec Bohm on Monday. I had a really tight roster situation. I needed a pitching boost more than a hitting boost, all things considered. Kind of looked at my roster, and Mackenzie Gore versus Bohm was the debate. And I thought, oh, Joey Lucchese got sent down. That might be a signal that Mackenzie Gore is coming up. And if they were going to call up Bohm, maybe they would have done it already. It was basically a coin flip decision that I got wrong, but it's so frustrating to see a guy like Bohm then come up on Thursday, hit three balls over 95 miles per hour, and, and look every bit as good in that first game as anybody who follows him would expect him to be. Is he a must-add everywhere? I know in Yahoo leagues, he's like 17% owned as of Friday morning, but even for like a 10-team mixed league, it seems like in that lineup, he at least has a path to make enough of an impact to be a really good pickup. Yeah, you did a better job of explaining my Kevin Gossman with a better, a little bit more of an intriguing name than my guy, who's more of a deeply uh, one. But you're going to be so frustrated when you see him go off for. I mean, if he hits a couple homers this weekend in NFFC formats, he's going to go for like I don't know a lot of money, seven hundred dollars in fab or whatever. Because yeah, I'm in. He's going to stand over at third base. Not a great defensive player, but man, Kingry's been uh, just awful in his recovery. But I think he might play more center. But um, yeah, Bohm is uh, he can hit. He's a good hit tool and. Um, could catch lightning in a bottle, obviously a decent park. So absolutely, he's going to be added in all competitive formats. And if he has a good, strong weekend, he's going to break the bank in fab. I mean, with so much time left, you might as well be aggressive in fab. That's one area I have no problem being totally aggressive with. I know that I just, it's, it's you don't want to, you're worried about the players you drop. But um, yeah, you see a guy like Boehm, a prospect like that, I would be absolutely aggressive. Yeah, totally with you on the aggressiveness and fab. Last week in Tout, I threw probably like 50% of my remaining, maybe a little bit more. I can't remember the exact bit I threw in on Rafael Montero, and I thought, all right, this is this should get the job done. And then someone else came over the top of me with basically like 80% of their remaining fab. And it's like, all right, well, guess I wasn't even close to uh, to getting Rafael Montero. So I'm Can with you. Can we talk about chasing yeah. saves? too I yeah mean, let's do so it. annoying these guys anthony bass uh, i'm an idiot i thought familia looked like right in line it all looked right they want to use lugo for multiple innings diaz looks done and the monday after i bought him he's pitching the sixth inning and uh, giving up runs and yeah i mean that montero looks like a very savvy ad and uh, birdie looked great for a while but the, the save category in fantasy baseball is so frustrating and i don't think adding holds corrects it either it makes it devalues them too far the other way so I, i'd love a perfect solution or any sort of solution here i know there's not a perfect one yeah. but man it's frustrating and chasing chasing saves this year has been as frustrating as ever i'm actually a big saves holds proponent not because i like holds i think holds are maybe the worst stat in any of the major sports. Uh, obviously, they mean very little, but what I like is that they force you to 
put a value on those high value, high leverage, non-closing relievers. That's what I like about holds. They, they give them, even though that value in the hold itself feels artificial, it forces you to place a value on the fact that someone like, I, the, 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 the example I always go to doesn't necessarily hold this year because Ryan Presley's closing for Houston, but pre-2020 Ryan Presley, one of the best relievers in the majors, and if you were playing in a traditional league with just saves, he was barely owned. But Ryan Presley was such a great reliever for those two years. I do like, I think it's an improvement on saves and I agree with you, but would you not, uh, maybe you're in a different format than me, but isn't it not still just easy to address? Like whenever I'm in IDP formats too, it's just, they're just, you can add those so easily. It's, it doesn't really add any strategy, yeah. at least in the whole mm-hmm. leagues I'm in. Do you ever draft any of the, any relievers before the final rounds? No, in one league where I am with save, I mean, I, I target high K guys and I'm totally comfortable passing on the elite closers. But I can't tell you that that hasn't always worked for me. I don't think it's quite that simple. And it's definitely, I, that was something I forgot to rejigger this year. That is a strategy that has completely failed me this season because uh, it's been a lot harder to find and I haven't had as much time and I won't have as much time to make up the deficit that I usually am comfortable taking on early in a season, knowing that I've got you know five and a half more months to make that up. But yeah, no, saves is just a joke. Even if you went early, uh, you're dealing with Yates. Uh, I mm-hmm. went after Josh Hader super aggressively in the NFFC leagues. He's pitched like three innings. It's like, he looks fine. He's healthy and he's good. And he's still been a bust. You know, I mean, it's like, it's it's very difficult to get the closing situation right in fantasy baseball. Yeah, it's been completely maddening. I think part of the problem with the save, too, it's just a kind of dumb stat to begin with when you really think yes. about it. Like I understand <laughs> what they're trying to measure, but I think about last night. There was a Brewers-Cubs matchup. Rowan Wick came in and do up that inning, Keston Hira, Christian Yelich, Avisil Garcia. He gets through that inning, right? It's only worth one save. That's much more difficult than facing the six, seven, eight hitters or the eight, nine, one hitters, which happens all the time. Like we, we're seeing usage finally change almost league wide to the point where the best relievers are coming in for the most difficult matchups. I mean, it's it's at least trending in the right direction. So I think we kind of want to get out in front of this as a, a group of fantasy baseball players and say, okay, what's our counterpunch here? I don't think we can make a simple metric that measures the difficulty of the save and then rewards it accordingly. I mean, that's like an auto new linear weights grade sort of thing where you're getting into leverage index and that just doesn't work. Part of the problem with fantasy baseball, I think for the casual player is that it's not as easy to see what's happening as it's happening the way it is for fantasy football and even fantasy basketball. That's why fantasy hoops, such a good DFS sport, but you know, long rant aside, is it, do we just get rid of saves and just say, you know what? Relievers aren't really part of the game or you can use them for, improving your ratios and maybe vulturing the occasional win like in daily leagues you could use them to kind of fill in the gaps when you don't have starters going but in weekly leagues should we just not even deal with relief pitchers in the long run yeah i mean head to head i usually punt the stat and you're right though dvr it's such an archaic stat in real life um i mean i forget the reason it was invented but it's just so silly to use it for arbitration purposes like they do. I mean, they, they, they look at the state, the save category. So yeah, I mean, front offices are getting so much smarter. I mean, it's just an, it's inevitable, it seems like to me, that it will eventually go away. But in the meantime, fantasy leagues, I would encourage just looking elsewhere. As much as I, you know, I said holds aren't perfect, I absolutely think it's a lesser of two evils, though. Because, it's, I mean, just look at the – there's no rhyme or reason or skill. I don't know. It seems it's too chaotic. 
Yeah, and just uh, speaking of Rowan Wick, just to give you another example of a team that seems to be getting smarter, the day before, Rowan Wick was brought in, not in the ninth, even though he leads the Cubs in saves, but in the seventh, with the Cubs up by four runs, two guys on, and Francisco Lindor at the plate. So those high leverage situations, we're seeing more and more teams get their best relievers into those. Doesn't matter if it's the seventh inning, the ninth inning, the sixth inning, whatever it might be. That's when you want your guys on the mound. We love it as just pure baseball fans, but as fantasy baseball players, it has been a little bit maddening. Let's turn our head, our, to our attention to another youngster who will be coming up uh, when his team finally gets back in the field. That's Dylan Carlson. We're sitting here on Friday morning recording this, so no guaranteed locked-in return to play for the Cardinals just yet. By the time you're listening, we might have it. The plan, as it's been reported, is that they will return on Saturday with a doubleheader against the White Sox. Then they will play a single game against the White Sox on Sunday and then turn a, what was supposed to be a three-game series against the Cubs on the other side of Chicago into a five-gamer with doubleheaders on Monday and Wednesday. So that is likely what the Cardinals are going to be doing. That could still get blown up as the three of us are sitting here recording this episode. But we'll talk about it as though that's the case. And Dylan Carlson is going to be making his uh, debut for the Cardinals this year when that does happen. He's about 30% owned in Yahoo Leagues right now. We'll ask you the same question we did with Alec Bohm. Is this an auto pickup in every format? Yeah, for sure. What 2020 last year in the minors, um, I'm not going to pretend I'm a prospect, prospect guy, but absolutely he's worth adding. I mean, he would have been drafted fairly in the mid rounds if, they, if the news would, they would have broke camp. I don't think they're bringing him up to, to not play, but what an interesting situation with a team playing five games and other teams playing 20 in baseball. You look at the standings, the they're, they're, they're like the same in the loss category as a team that's played. So it's it's team it's 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 just wild. And um, batters, I mean, imagine you drafted Jack Flaherty in yeah. round two. And the problem with that is you can't make up double headers with your starting pitchers. So uh, this is just such a, an odd situation. Very frustrating if you were heavy on Cardinals. But absolutely add Carlson now and wait. Actually, it's the best both worlds for him. He uh, did he accumulate the service time yet? Also now can play a bunch more games with the Cardinals. So they're clear. They get the extra year from him because it's measured in days instead of games. Right. So like, okay. they're, they're totally good to bring wow. him up and, and have him through 2027. 20, Seven, yeah. Fake year. Uh, <laughs> fake year. <laughs> seems like a fake year. But, yeah, it's a good point on Flaherty. Like, I mean, the pitchers, even the relievers, like usually you don't go both sides of a doubleheader, and if you do, you're certainly not going the next day. So you're not going to get the windfall back from your pitchers with the hitters. Are you trying to leverage the Cardinals' excess remaining games with some of the the mid-pack guys who ordinarily might not be locks to be on rosters? I mean, obviously, Paul Goldschmidt's going to play a ton. Colton Wong should play a ton. Yachty, once he's back from COVID, and Paul DeYoung should play a lot. Carlson will play a lot. But I'm thinking more like Harrison Bader and uh, maybe Dexter Fowler. Like Those guys end up actually becoming a lot more mixed-league viable because they've got 55 games left when most of the league has 40 left. Yes, absolutely. You got to pay attention. And I don't know how the playing time is going to shake out with uh, Carlson and uh, how much is Tyler O'Neill going to play at all? He actually ranks fifth in barrel percentage, but um, uh, he's not been played in a while either, is he? Has he? Um, what? Uh, yes, the Cardinals you can absolutely leverage with games played. And if you're if you want to if you want to micromanage and look ahead for the schedule, th- that is the team to pay attention to. Me personally, man, looking at the Sundays and in so many leagues, Fab right now is overwhelming. But if you really were to get down into Cardinals bats for sure and it might come down to volume in some of these leagues in the battle of attrition uh, I'm in those NFFC leagues are two catcher leagues and I have Yadier Molina in one and you know it's 15 teams some and you put four bids and catchers and you all outbid and I got zero at bats for a week just like 
that. So super frustrating, and it might just come down to volume, and the way to accumulate the at-bats is St. Louis for sure. Yeah, those guys are going to be stacking a whole lot of plate appearances over the next four or five weeks here, and definitely not a bad place to turn. We've talked about Alec Bohm, we've talked about Dylan Carlson, and Derek and I have talked about the idea of stashing prospects this season. It's something that uh, obviously a lot of us want to do in a normal year, but this year it's become just so difficult. We have so many injuries, we have so many unknowns, we have at least two teams already having had to take extended week-long plus breaks because of COVID issues. It's just been such a hard thing to do. It's already hard to do, even in a normal season. And this year, it's been even harder. Uh, But with that said, are there any prospects you're still adamant about stashing in redraft leagues, thinking that even though we haven't heard their name just yet, that they could be up soon and be a guy who is ready to make an impact right away upon his promotion? Probably forgetting someone, but no one jumps to mind. I do have Gavin Lux in a couple leagues still sure. expecting him to get a call. I liked Brendan McKay quite a bit, and then he immediately he went back throwing. He reported camp late, and now he's dealing with shoulder issues, so he, he can't be added. But I, he would have been a guy that I would have been intrigued by for sure. And then if Spencer Howard, um, I don't think he was super impressive his first start. So if he's dropped or if he's still out there, I'm still going to be aggressive uh, adding him in for the future for the rest of this year. Yeah, I think I'm going to hold on to Gore for one more week in Taos, mm-hmm. which hopefully isn't just compounding one bad decision earlier in the week <laughs> into a second one. Uh, but it seems like the Padres are one of those teams that are all in for this season. Really fun series with the Dodgers overall this week. I know they got blown out on Thursday night, but it's nice to have a few more teams actually making that push. The White Sox are a good watch on the AL side. Curious to see if the Tigers call up their pitching prospect. It's sort of now or never, though. If that doesn't happen by the end of the weekend, there's not really any reason to think that they're going to start bringing those guys up any later, right? It's like if they're going to do it, they should do it now because they're actually above 500 uh, against all odds to begin the season. A couple, couple things with the Tigers prospects. I have two, two thoughts on that. A, the, uh, Pablo Sandoval hit a three-run homer in the final day of the Giants season to make them move from pick number one to pick number two. So Casey Mize, I will always follow <laughs> his career closely compared to Joey Bart. And then um, CJ Crone going down, it's unlikely. But Spencer Torkelson is going to mash immediately whenever he gets a chance. And if they did call him up right now, it's, again, highly unlikely. Um, but Crone, who was, who's quietly very good hitter, that looked like a serious knee injury, and he's mm-hmm. probably not going to return. Or if he does, he's going to try to delay surgery. But Torkelson's just a name to keep an eye on, uh, obviously, and Dynasty Leaguers know about him. But just a thought. Call them all up, man. Bring up Torkelson, bring up Mize, bring up Manning, bring up Scooble, and make a run at it. It'd be a lot of fun. I, th- I think it's the right choice development-wise, too. I don't think yeah. playing complex games for a full season mm-hmm. is good for anybody, hitters or pitchers. And with pitchers saving that extra year, where they already did it anyway, you just want the guys to be as good as they can be when you need them in if they stay healthy, that's the lottery ticket aspect of all this, you know, to just get that development right and try to maximize the chances of that actually playing out the way that it's supposed to. You know, Detroit's an interesting team with Matthew Boyd being horrible too. It's really, uh, it's, it's, uh, you know, I mean, and and they have interesting guys. Turnbull looks very intriguing if he's sitting out there uh, for a sleeper and Michael Fulmer, I don't know if he's going to go back to the innings this year, but um, nice to see Detroit uh, have some, some something to look forward to. Jacoby Jones, I've seen being dropped, but man, that guy, look at his stat cast numbers. I like him too. So Detroit has some interesting players. DDR, yeah, I know I, you're trying to move on, but let me just throw this out there too, just from a tactical standpoint, if you're a GM, is there a more low risk environment to get your youngsters involved in high leverage games than there is this year? Like no one like cares too much about this year. Uh, and just to get those guys into pennant race games right now, before they play a, quote, real season in 2021. I think there's some value to that if you're thinking like that from the from the uh, Tigers' point of view. 
Yeah, all bets are off this season. And if, especially if the service time isn't an issue, I see no reason why not. And yeah, everyone's making the playoffs this year, small sample sport. I mean, even crazier things have happened than making a run in a, in a, in a small tournament too in baseball. So I, absolutely. Just imagining the Tigers pitching prospects, like helping the Tigers sweep the Yankees in the opening <laughs> round of the playoffs and how mad that would that make Yankees fans if that happened. I'd, I'd love to see it. Sure. We're, we're going to talk about a few slumping hitters in just a moment. But first, a quick word from our friends at Indochino. All right, Dalton, let's talk about a few slumping hitters. Uh, Vlad Jr. was a guy you wrote up in that piece on Tuesday over at Yahoo, and I think it's getting to the point where we can start to wonder, should we believe Should we believe in the ceiling that we were promised with Vlad Jr.? I mean, I'm not completely writing him off. I'm not saying he's not going to come close to living up to the hype, but this is a guy who was projected to bring an 80-grade hit tool with 80-grade power, and it just hasn't quite happened yet. Is it just a slow start? Is it just going to take a little longer than we wanted? Or are you starting to lower your long-term ceiling expectations for Vlad Jr.? I'm still a believer, but yeah, I would lower him a little bit. I mean, already having to move off third base, um, hitting so many ground balls. If his bat-to-ball profile was a little bit more encouraging, I'd just say whatever. But the guy just is continuously has a low launch angle for a future star. Um, I think he's going to hit the ball really hard and hit for high average, and the power will eventually come. One thing I will say is, I know it's small sample, but man, that second game in Buffalo, this 25 runs were scored. Um, the first game was one out away from hitting the under, and then they ended up blowing the save and it went to extra innings. But if it might just be Toronto as an awesome offense, or it might just be that place does turn into a launch pad. So I've added like Travis Shaw in areas just to see who knows, maybe that environment turns into a total carnival. So um, that would obviously help Lad in the short term, but Long term, I'm I have to lower my expectations a little bit, but um, I'm still buying. I love Vlad. Uh, he I dynasty league last year startup. I spent the most money on him. I, on per, I mean that was the guy I targeted. So I'm a believer. But yeah, it's been incredibly disappointing. It has been, but we're we're still talking about a 21 year old, right? And I mean there is there is one Juan Soto in this world, and there is one Ronald Acuna, guys who just come up and and take off right away. I mean, what Juan Soto has done uh, to this point of his career is something we're going to be talking about, you know, 15 years from now. Want to talk about a fake year DVR? 2035, we're going to be sitting here and just remembering that we got to watch Juan Soto as a 19 year old and a 20 year old doing what he did. I still think that this is. Um, not only a, a long-term buy, which I think is obvious, but even a short-term buy. I just don't think you get that unanimously glowing grades from prospect uh, experts and from scouts and then go totally flop for this long in the majors. So I, he's almost a guy who I would be interested in trying to buy right now. Whoever ended up drafting him has to be pretty frustrated with what he's done to this point of the season. Interesting uh, rest-of-season projection. Zips, 113 WRC+, plus. the Bad X, 130. That's pretty different. So hmm. I'm probably just sipping the Derek Cardi Kool-Aid too much. But I'm, I'm still <laughs> buying, buying Carrera for sure. It's funny how often I end up agreeing most with Cardi's projections because of the stat cast influence. I mean, I spend so much time on, on baseball savant, and I'm looking at max exit velocities and exit velocities on fly balls and line drives, and then I look at those projections on fan graphs all compared to each other and i'm like yep that one i agree with the the bat or the bat x and it's like nine times out of ten it's almost like more interesting when i don't agree with those projections because i can dig in and try to figure out you know what's so different uh, i mentioned before a lot of like surprisingly slow starting bats to begin this season some are guys that are going to be fine i think yelich bellinger they don't look like themselves right now. But as you start looking at more like mid-tier guys, I'm thinking more like Chris Davis in Oakland, for example. How quick are you to 
let someone like that go in a shortened season? Like, what actually catches your eye when you're looking at underlying numbers for a struggling hitter in this shortened season? Because like you said a little earlier, a quarter of the season being gone, and instead of 15 games being like 9% of the season, it's such a big chunk of what we're going to get for our final output. I feel like that's messing with our heads a little bit. Are you using the same kinds of guides you'd ordinarily be using to make decisions, or have you added a few new underlying metrics to make those tough drop decisions? I do look to stat cast, and that's why I'm guilty. Same thing of the uh, of the bat myself. Um, so I look at expected batting average and uh, exit velocity and all that stuff, and and, and plate discipline. Chris Davis, it's too bad. Uh, I liked him as a bounce back candidate. Uh, not going to hit. What, he tried to hit 247. What five six years in a row? Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a case by case basis uh, when you want to cut bait in a short season like this. Um, I, ah, you know, you preach patience earlier. Um, Chris Davis, you're looking at the sweet spot. He's hitting well, but um, the expected batting average 249. I'd probably remain patient with him. He seems fine enough. Um, but I look at Statcast numbers probably first and foremost uh, is, is what I turn to for for hitters. I'm wondering is something else that we've talked about, and this just occurred to me as a frustrated Oscar Mercado owner. We talked a little bit earlier about uh, that patience and that aggressiveness and when do you cut bait on players. What about the playing time uh, discussions for some of these guys? Like I have been very disappointed to see Oscar Mercado turn into basically a fourth outfielder in Cleveland. He was a guy who I was buying as a legitimate power speed guy, a guy who over 162, I would expect to give you something in the neighborhood of, you know, 18 homers and 15 steals, something like that. So, you know, take that down, uh, you know, two thirds and still thinking we're going to get a good power speed combo out of him this year. And now I find myself wondering, like, can I even keep him when I have uh, a team return to full health? Is he someone who I'm going to have to cut? How often are you going to let playing time that we've seen uh, to this point of the season drive? those decisions yeah absolutely i'm getting twitter questions about should i drop mercado so uh, i liked him as a cheaper version of victor robles power speed if the average wasn't there and um no it's been a problem and a playing time is an issue and a young guy with their you know they can move on trying to win now so i yes i have no problem with dumping him from your fantasy team it's frustrating um but yeah with with so little time uh so little room for margin for error um yeah you could you could dump, dump a guy who's not getting the pt right now are we going to be in the same boat with Scott Kingery now that Bohm's up? Because it looks like he's the guy that probably loses. He can play a few different positions. I know they just put Adam Hazley on the injured list, but he has really struggled at the plate so far. Do you think Kingery ends up being a drop this weekend? I, he definitely could be. Um, I'm in a super deep league where I added him in free agency. Players have people have given up on him, and it could just be a COVID issue because he's admitted that it's been tough for his recovery. So maybe the strength just does not come back. To last year, but speaking of the bad X, they loved him, projected him to be basically a fantasy star before the season, and I think he should play center field. Roman Quinn, I mean, he's an interesting fantasy guy if you're looking for speed, but I think Kingery could still move and play some center field. I'm still going to remain patient with him because, like I said, the preseason projections were so bullish, and it's a good environment there in Philly, so um, it just depends on your format, I guess. But ultimately, if you're in a competitive, deeper league, I'm going to remain Remain patient with Kingry, who's available and he's eligible in so many different positions in Yahoo formats, too. I'm not sure there's anything actionable with the player I'm about to bring up, so hey, let's have some fun. Jordan Alvarez, uh, going to get his uh, debut for this season on Friday night. Dusty Baker already saying that he's not going to play the field at all this year because of the knees, but he is going to be DHing uh, every single day for this Houston team, or at least uh, mostly every single day for this team, but 
with the fact that they're already saying he's not playing the field and he still has this knee issue, are there any signs you look for that maybe start to have you wondering about his utility as a hitter if he gets off to a slow start? A couple. Uh, first of all, I love Jordan, and I would have been all over him if he was healthy. The man mashes. I get it that uh, normally you're about starting pitchers or steal guys in fantasy leagues, but he would be like the one exception. Um, I'd be reaching for him. I could see crazy season eventually. Uh, people do not slug like that at his age. It's historic stuff. Inner circle Hall of Famers. Um, but now, you know, all offseason, he came back, and his knee was still an issue, and he wasn't even playing the field. I mean, yeah, that's a problem. The Dusty Baker quotes were ominous uh, from the beginning. So, um Cautiously optimistic, and hopefully he's recovered now. But it sounds like to me this is like what is going to be like an issue throughout his career, and he's so young. I mean, I don't, I don't love that at all. But yeah, who, who knows? Uh, you're asking me things like, yeah, exactly. If you have to a slow start, is it the knee? Is it just the mm-hmm. no spring training and coming in the middle of everything? The pitchers are ahead, so I don't know what exactly you should be looking for. Um, hard hit percentage and basically plate discipline are probably the main things. The walk percentage, the strikeout, and the hard hit percentage are the three main things I'd look for. But with Jordan, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't give him too hard of a time if he gets off to a slow start. The production last year was just ridiculous for a rookie hitter. He was basically hitting like Mike Trout from the jump last year, which is uh, un- unbelievable, impossible, really. And you look at the projections, the Bat-X uh, Woba projections for the rest of the season. I think there's only 10 hitters who are projected above Jordan Alvarez, it's Trout, Betts, Yelich, Soto, Bellinger, Harper, Judge, Rendon, Acuna, and Arenado. Like, that's really good company to be in. So, excited he's back. There were a couple leagues where he was one of the few injury optimism guys that I drafted and, and waited for. I hope the payoff actually proves to be worth it. So, Dalton, on Fridays, a lot of times we have a guest on and we, we talk about uh, toss-ups. And I've got one big toss-up for you. I know you're a huge Larry David fan so this is the ultimate Larry David toss-up. Seinfeld or Curb? Better series, start to finish, rewatchability, better writing, whatever it is. Which one do you go with? It's probably the toughest question I've ever been asked in a podcast <laughs> uh, in my entire life. And, and man, put me on the spot here. You're talking to someone who once actually gave a presentation in college about Curb Enthusiasm with, <laughs> with materials and everything, calling it the most underrated show. And so... Seinfeld stands up. Love it. It's, it's fantastic. They're my two favorite shows of all time, probably even even count dramas. I just I'm a comedy guy. Uh, love Larry David. He's in my Twitter bio. So I'm going to say Kirby enthusiasm. You get a little bit more. You can deal with some more in- mature material. And uh, you love I, I just love, you know, the uh, just how it's written off the cuff. So uh, I would have a slight lean to Curb. Um, it's, it's still going strong. Um, but man, you're asking me, like, pick my favorite child. <laughs> the DVR, what class you might- is that for? Uh, it was speech class. It was a speech class. Uh, <laughs> in, in, yeah, it was a speech class. So it, the, the topics was wide open. And, and I hate it, man. I was scared getting up in front, speaking in front of I wanted nothing less to do in life. Uh, so Larry David got me through that. And that helped. Too. Yeah, it was, it was a speech class. Oh, man, DVR, you might not know this, but this is a question that's right in my wheelhouse, too. These are my two favorite comedy shows of all time also. So uh, this is a tough one for me. But I'm with you, Dalton. I, I lean toward Curb as well. It is the off-the-cuff that puts it over the top for me. There are, there are more moments when I'm watching Curb and even episodes I've seen 10 or 11 times where it's like a genuine belly laugh out of nowhere because of what the character has said. It just even when they're in these ridiculous situations, it feels like something your like funniest friend could say in real life that would make you burst out laughing more so than you get in an episode of Seinfeld. So I lean uh, toward Curb as well. But man, just I knew I loved you, Bella. You're a smart man. <laughs> knew I knew, knew I liked you. Yeah. 
You're a smart guy. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, the unscriptedness. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's great. They're both great. But man, if you if you're not familiar with Curb Enthusiasm, which is obviously less popular, uh, do yourself a favor, especially check out those first three seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, seasons what two, three, and four. It's a Hall of Fame run. I'm just cracking up in my head to imagining you giving the, the speech because I had a kid in one of my high school English classes. We had almost the same kind of assignment. We were allowed to give a speech. It could be about anybody in American history. And this kid worked at KFC, and he decided to give a speech about Colonel Sanders, <laughs> which pissed off our English teacher so much. Like The kid took it seriously. He was trying to like do a good job with it, and it was it was the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. I was probably laughing harder than I've ever laughed in any class ever before that but that's is awesome. great i think this is like a persuasion one i was persuading people to watch the show it was early on this is a long time ago i'm, I'm old but i went to my local cable company and they and, and asked for their when they were done advertising that a larry david cardboard cutout for that season was airing and they gave it to me so i had all kinds of props with me it was pretty uh pretty funny if only someone had videoed that uh, actually i'm quite glad no one did <laughs> that'd be an all-time great video clip if you had access to that uh, dalton before we let you go let our listeners know where they can uh, read and hear your work yeah, follow me uh, at Dalton Beldon. I just post all my stuff there. I've uh, been uh, actually co-hosting uh, the Yahoo Fantasy Football um, podcast in August, and I'm going to have uh, Ben Baldwin on. He writes for oh, The nice. Athletic this uh, Wednesday, and I'm super excited to talk some some nerdy fantasy, or not even fantasy, some nerdy football stats with him. Awesome. I've heard you on the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball podcast with Scott Pianowski, and of course, A Real Man Would with Chris Liss, which is kind of like a curb sort of podcast compared <laughs> to the other stuff you do. It's, it's definitely very different, but uh, I think people will really enjoy it if they enjoy your work and haven't checked that out yet. Dalton, thanks for taking the time to join us today. I appreciate it, man. Great, great seeing you. Good talking to you, Michael. Good talking to you, DVR. Yeah, to Dalton. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Podcast. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get one 40% off at theathletic.com slash podcast. You can find Beller on Twitter at mbeller. Find Dalton at Dalton Del Don. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We're back on Sunday with our waiver episode for Michael Beller and Dalton Del Don. I'm Derek Van Riper. Have a great weekend.